Uh, this morning, we're beginning a new series. Uh, we're going to take a break, a brief break in the Gospel of John, and I want to focus on our, our mission, vision, strategy, values, and that's for the next several weeks we're going to be dealing with that. And so, uh, so we'll come back to the Gospel of John after we're uh, complete this series, but we just thought as elders it would be a good uh, opportunity to, to give focus to our mission as a church. So I want to uh, pray for us. And then we'll get to where our Bible text is going to be for this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, we need to hear from you. And we know that you do that when your word is opened and when it is preached. Lord, there is that matter of a, of a human voice mediating this, a flawed one at that, as is every preacher. So Lord, what I need is for your voice to transcend my voice, for your truth to take hold in our hearts. Give us all attitudes that are ready to hear from you and, and minds that are attentive. And I pray for all of us that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're beginning a series in, uh, in mission, mission and vision and values, strategy. Um, there's a, a, a card that I would like you to take, and you'll find it at the Welcome Center. It's um, the Marks of Discipleship. We're going to be dealing with Marks of Discipleship for the next four, four Sundays, uh, this and the next three. And so please take advantage of that. There's, if you don't have one of these, each new member, each person who's been to the membership seminar gets one of these. But if you haven't had one, tuck it in your Bible just to remind yourself what we're doing here. Well, it has been, uh, it's probably been said a thousand times that these are, are very strange times. We all get that. And I'm so grateful for whoever's able to gather here in this room. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm really grateful as well that we've got this technology, the camera, uh, we maintain something of a connection for those who cannot be here. And so the live stream is, is there for you. So. But the question must be asked, what are we doing here? What is this? What's the point of our meeting together? Why do we sing songs? Why do we pray and preach the Bible? Why do we have elders and deacons? Why do we even build this building? What's this for? Why do we have a budget? What's the purpose of that? Why do we have care groups and women's ministries and men's Bible studies and youth meetings? Why all of that? Why do we plan to have Awana in whatever way we have that? Why do we hope to have Sunday school? Why do we even have had this child care ministry through the week? What's the purpose of that? We've done some of these things for a long time. It's got to be more than tradition that keeps us going. I came here uh, to be the senior pastor over 16 years ago. Uh, Josh uh, preceded me here uh, as youth director by several months, I think eight months. But he reminded me this past week uh, of something I said when, when I was being considered by the members uh, to come here. Someone asked me about my, my ministry plan. And my answer simply was, we're going to do the Great Commission. We're going to do the Great Commission. Well, that's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So I want to read that for us. This is the ministry plan. Matthew 28, if you're following along in your own Bibles, this, the setting here, 
Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised. He has appeared to his disciples on several occasions, and he is about to be ascended to the Father in heaven, about to take his place at the right hand of the Father. And so he, he, in effect, these are his kind of summary statements of his life and ministry, and he is going to be departing bodily. And he says this to them. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Nothing has changed in 16 years. And in fact, I would say that it's a true statement that every faithful Bible-preaching church holds this as their mission. It's our mission because Jesus told us that it is. We paraphrase it, and you can see this, in fact, on the live stream um, or the the, the Church Center app. It's sitting at the top, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is our mission mission together. So as I said, this morning we're beginning a series on the marks of discipleship. What is a disciple of Jesus? If Jesus said, make disciples, what does the disciple look like? What does it look like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? And if our mission is to do that, what should that look like in their lives? So we, as a church, as we think about what we're doing, we have a responsibility before the Lord and to one another to be doing this disciple-making thing. So what is it going to look like in the life of an individual to be made into a disciple? Everyone who walks through these doors, everyone who, who should come into contact with us, everyone to whom our ministry is directed, we have this objective, leading them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So the first mark of that discipleship is what we're going to focus on this morning, is simply identify with Christ. A disciple is someone who identifies with Christ. So what does it mean to identify with Christ? Now, we've got to acknowledge that word identity has become kind of politically charged, hasn't it? The word, the way it is often used these days, it stretch, stretches really the meaning almost beyond recognition to identify. And, and we, we get this, and it complicates matters when we think of identity. Some people who are biologically male have made the choice to identify as female. We get the absurdity of that. Some years ago, there was a, a Caucasian woman who, who self-identified as black so that she could Well, I'm not sure her reasons, and it was odd to me. She would have served as an NAACP chapter president. Some things are certainly within the realm of reason to identify, and others are not. We get it. As a human, I, I can't identify as a golden retriever. That's just absurd, right? It's not a choice I can or should make. But, 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 there are choices. There are identity choices that we can and should make. And if you've truly experienced the grace of God, you can and should identify with the one through whom that grace was revealed to you, and that's Jesus Christ. A Christian is a disciple of Jesus who publicly identifies with Christ. 
So how? How do we identify with Christ? And that's really the focus of this message. Even as we think about what it looks like to be a disciple, the application is how do we identify with Christ? And as we think about making disciples, how do we help others to identify with Christ? So to set this up this morning, I want you to think of Jesus in his role, the title that he has, Christ. It's his role right? Who Jesus is, he is the Christ. It's not a surname, it's his role. It's his, it's his title. Christ simply means anointed one. And as the anointed one, we understand, the Bible makes this clear, that Jesus is the king over us. He is our king. He is our anointed king. And so as our anointed king, Jesus has a kingdom. Now at this point, Jesus' kingdom is not recognized by the world. It's true, everything in the world, everything in the universe belongs to him. But the most of the world does not see that yet. So we, we who belong to Christ, we who identify with him, acknowledge that he is king. And we know that one day, because the Bible tells us, one day all of the kingdoms of this world will see him for who he truly is. But until then, until then, we are citizens of the kingdom of God living as aliens in this world. That's the setup. So I'm going to give you what it means to identify with Christ. Identifying with Christ means, for the purposes of our message this morning, that you declare your allegiance to Christ. Identifying with Christ, secondly, means that you show your passport. And what I mean by that is baptism. You get baptized. Third, Identifying with Christ means you join the embassy. And what I mean by that is join the church. So declare your allegiance to Christ, show your passport, join the embassy. First of all, to identify with Christ means to declare your allegiance. Now, we have all kinds of allegiances, don't we? Some are merely preferences and others arise from tradition. I, I know this and I got thinking about myself. What kind of allegiances do I have? I, I generally drive Fords. <laughs> Why? Because my, my father worked for Ford. And I know them well. So I, I have a preference, I guess, for Fords. And, and while my mom was still alive, one of the benefits that we had was that we could buy a Ford at the same price that any dealer would have to pay the factory. So it was a, a benefit for my, my allegiance. Now, I'm a loyal fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And for the past 53 years, the Stanley Cup has been elusive. I gain no benefit from my allegiance, zero. But no matter, tradition trumps. <laughs> They're my team. Now, whether it's for some personal benefit or because of tradition, I'm happy to declare my allegiance to these and other things. But truth be told, if I had an opportunity to buy a Mazda or a Toyota or a BMW at a greatly reduced rate, I might just switch my allegiance from Ford. But you know, there's a kind of allegiance there that's more than mere preference. Those things I talked about are frivolous. Sports teams and cars and products that you buy, those are frivolous. There's a kind of allegiance that's far more than preference. And it goes way beyond tradition. And it's an allegiance that impacts our forever and should never change, will never change. So a disciple of Jesus 
a fully devoted follower of Christ is one who has declared allegiance to Christ. Declared allegiance to Christ. Now, what's involved in declaring your allegiance to Christ? I want you to listen to what it says in Romans chapter 10. This is 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul there to the church at Rome says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. These verses describe true faith in Jesus. And faith involves repentance and trust. That's what faith is. Now, to be clear, the verse is not saying that there is a special power in verbalizing the words, Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There's no special power in verbalizing it. Rather, what it is is an acknowledgement in the heart in what I truly believe, that Jesus is Lord, that he reigns as king, acknowledging who he is, but Lord of me, wholly in charge of me. And if he is Lord, he has complete authority, doesn't he? And if Jesus rules, if Jesus rules, then we must turn away from our sin. That's repentance. So to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, and this is all a part of declaring your allegiance, to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge who he is. The Bible reveals that he is the eternal and divine son of God. The Bible reveals that he took on a human body. Jesus was the name given to him. The Bible tells us and the gospel story unfolds for us that he he lived in pristine perfection without even a hint of sin. The Bible reveals that he died vicariously, that is to say, in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. And all of us, all of us see the need for that. Because you know, you know, If you were just to take stock of your own day and write down every sinful action and attitude, you would be consumed. You wouldn't be able to do anything else. And if we're held to account before God for that sin personally, there's no hope. And so Jesus comes along. He says, I'll take that punishment. And that's what it means when he he became a vicarious sacrifice in our place. So we understand our allegiance to Christ means that we get it. What Jesus did for us, he took our sin and he died and he was buried. But it didn't end there. The Bible tells us that he rose on the third day. And I know today people think, well, that's just foolish. Nobody rises from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And he is now seated, reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven as king. 
This message about Jesus is good news. And the, the New Testament shorthand word for that is gospel. We talk about gospel all the time. And so if you have believed this gospel, the Bible says you will be saved. And that's glorious. Of course, if we understand that, of course, we're going to have an allegiance to Christ. We are saved because we are saved from God's righteous wrath because of our sin. We are saved to enjoy eternal life in fellowship with God, but also in fellowship with his people. We are saved with the promise of a restored, incorruptible, pain-free, death-banishing, unsinnable, and glorified body. And if you're saved, it now means that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. A disciple of Jesus is one who has declared his or her allegiance to Christ. And let me ask you, have you? Have you declared your allegiance to Christ? And understand this. It's not because of something you have done. It's not like the, the statement of, I'm, I have an allegiance to Christ is the thing that saves you. No, you declare your allegiance to Christ because you have come under the crushing reality that your own sin will cast you into the depths of hell unless somebody stands in the way for you. And because Jesus did that, and he opened your eyes to see, what else can you do but say, he's my savior, I'm with him. Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in Christ for life? Let me encourage you. Let me, let me plead with you. Trust him now. Now, if you have, the Bible says you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Christian and disciple are just two different words for the same thing. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have a part in making disciples for Jesus. You have a part in telling the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. And we're going to talk about how that works in a moment. But identifying with Christ means declaring your allegiance to Christ. Identifying with Christ also means that you show your passport, which means you get baptized. And we're going to be doing that in a few moments. So we'll have the, a wonderful opportunity to witness those who are effectively showing their passport. But let me illustrate this. Uh, many of you know I was born in Canada but most people can't tell that I'm a Canadian citizen by looking at me. Some people might recognize it when I say the words out, house, and about. Right? Or if I should say, and I've eradicated this from my vocabulary, how's it going, eh? <laughs> I don't say that anymore. But you know, when I drive to the border, they don't care how I talk. They, they want proof. They want proof. What's your citizenship? Out, house, and about. No, no, that's not enough. How's it going? Eh? No, that won't do it. They want to see my passport, right? Now, the thing that identifies me as Canadian is my passport, but it doesn't make me Canadian, right? The thing that makes me Canadian is that I was born in Canada. But the passport identifies me as having Canadian citizenship. And I want you to understand this. Baptism for the disciple of Jesus works in a similar way. Baptism doesn't make you a child of God. Baptism doesn't 
doesn't give you in, in and of itself citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. But it shows that you are. It identifies you to the rest of Jesus' disciples that you belong to him. And it identifies you in some sense to the rest of the world. So why is baptism a necessary mark of being a disciple of Jesus? Well, we can go back to the Bible and what Jesus said. Jesus commanded it. He said, make disciples. How? Baptizing them. Or that it would indicate that they're disciples. Now, I'm paraphrasing what Jesus is saying here, but the rest of the Bible gives us an understanding of how salvation happens, and it doesn't happen through baptism. But Jesus said, make disciples. That involves a mental ascent. That involves an allegiance to Christ, saying, yes, he's my savior. But then you mark it, Jesus says, with baptism, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, notice the order. Let me just take a little side road here for a moment for our brothers and sisters in other traditions. Or maybe you're here and you grew up in a, in a different tradition where, where they baptized infants. How do you know someone is a disciple unless they are able to express in some respects their allegiance to Christ? How do, you, how do you know they're a disciple unless they can confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord? Or how can you know that someone is a disciple unless they can communicate somehow, some way, their own belief that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. That's why we don't baptize infants. It just seems to make sense. So you don't get the passport, you don't get baptized unless you first declared your allegiance to Christ. But you are not recognized. You are not, you are not identified as a disciple of Christ to the rest of the disciples and to the rest of the world unless you have been baptized. I want, you to sh I want to show you what happened in Jerusalem after the Apostle Peter preached the gospel. This was on the day of Pentecost. So let me set it up. Peter, Peter preached a sermon, drawing in aspects of the Old Testament, the Psalms, and he preached Jesus. And I love that sermon. He's just laid out the Bible, and he showed them how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that was promised. And the people listening they said this. It, it says this in Acts 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That message gripped them. They were confronted with their own sin. They were confronted with the fact that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the one promised through the scriptures. They were confronted with this reality that apart from Jesus, they would die in their sin and be separated from God. They cut them to the heart. And it was only days earlier that Jesus had told them, make disciples, baptizing them. So what did Peter say right there? Acts 2, 30, 38. I'm sure it was on his mind. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, Peter wasn't saying that baptism would forgive them. The repentance, the acknowledgement that, that, they, that they needed a savior in Jesus was what would make them a child of God. But he said, mark it be baptized. 
So that repentance is an expression of genuine faith, and the baptism is the, the public identifying mark of having repented and believed. Now, the whole baptism thing, it's not just a, a random thing that Jesus picked out. You know, it's not as if he could have said, okay, make disciples and put a tattoo on them, or, or make disciples and, and dye their hair blue. No, that, that very mark, the passport, that, that expression in baptism is highly symbolic. Now, baptism was already known. It was known as an expression of repentance for people who were, who were not born into Jewish families. So if, they, if people wanted to be led it, wanted people who were not born into a Jewish family, wanted it to be known that they now followed Yahweh, the true and living God, they were baptized as a, as a kind of a symbol of their cleansing. It's the ministry at the beginning of the Gospels where John the Baptist, he's called the Baptist because he was doing this baptism, just before he announced Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist was out there in the wilderness in preparation for the revelation of Messiah. Jews who had grown cold in their faith, they came to John, who was acknowledged to be a prophet of the Lord. And they were baptized as an expression of repentance. But in that in that time, the unthinkable happened, at least to John. Jesus came to John to be baptized. Jesus came to John to be baptized. And, and John, of course, protested. John gets it. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What are you doing coming to me? And Jesus insisted. Matthew 3.15, Jesus said to John, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus was saying, this is the right thing to do right now. So here Jesus was setting an example for us. He, he didn't need to be cleansed. He didn't need to repent, but he needed to show us what that looks like. So Jesus commanded it and Jesus exemplified it, but there's more to the symbol. It's a picture it's a picture of identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. So not just a random mark. There, there's significance in the symbol itself. Jesus' death and resurrection is the essential act on his part to grant forgiveness and life to us. Look at, well, you don't have to turn in your Bibles. I'll read it for us. Romans 6, 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the death, from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So by true faith in Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit applies the death of Jesus to our sin. And he also applies Jesus' resurrection from the grave to us as power for new life in the present and the guarantee of eternal life beyond the grave. What we're saying when we're baptized is death has no power. 
What we're saying when we get baptized is, I've been freed from the present power of sin and its eternal consequence. Why? Because I'm getting wet? No. Because in Jesus' death and my identifying with that, I'm free. I'm free. And, and listen, I want to encourage you. I mean, we're going to watch baptisms in a few moments. Every time you see one, remind yourself if you've been baptized, I'm free. Death has no power. Yes, yes, you and I are going to go to the grave, but we will be resurrected one day. And that's what the coming out of the water signifies, right? We come up out of the water. And as much as Jesus came out of the tomb, one day we will have resurrected bodies, like I already said, unsinnable, undiable bodies. That's a promise from the word. So that's the the invisible spiritual reality that we're putting on display. And baptism makes the spiritual reality visible to the world and to the church. Now, there's another aspect of this. For Israelites, they had the the practice for males on the eighth day of, of circumcision. It marked them out as a nation with the promise of a land. So Israelites born into an Israelite family The males were circumcised on the eighth day and it marked them out as belonging to the covenant people and they had the promise of a land. Baptism marks out the people of God as a spiritual community with the promise of inheriting the whole renewed earth as the kingdom of God. So what baptism does, and I'm going to use this expression, it marks us out as belonging to the eschatological people of God, the end time people of God, the people of God that will come together in the end. Baptism now says, you're part of that. Paul says to the Colossians, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision circumcision of Christ. And here's where he makes the tie. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when you're baptized, you're marked out as one of the people of God having power in the present. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you need your passport. This is for obedience to Jesus as our king and for the sake of being known as a citizen of his kingdom and being known to other citizens of the kingdom that you actually belong in the kingdom of God. So let me ask you, have you taken the mark? Do you have your passport. And as you think about what it means to make disciples, and as we think as a church about what it means to make disciples, why do we put an emphasis on baptism? Because it's an essential mark of discipleship. We make the offer. Talk to us. Talk to us and be baptized. So is someone truly a disciple if they do not want to be identified with Christ in baptism? Again, baptism doesn't save you, but if you say, I don't want to be known as belonging to Christ, I don't want to take that mark. 
It's a worthwhile question to ask yourself. Well, third, so you, sorry, let me recap. A disciple of Jesus, someone who identifies with Christ by declaring your allegiance to Christ, by getting your passport, being baptized. And the third thing, joining the embassy, which, which, by which I mean joining the church. Let me illustrate this uh, with something here. Uh, 24, Essex, uh, I'm sorry, 24 Sussex Drive in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. That's the residence of the prime minister. But just two kilometers to the south at 490 Sussex Drive is the embassy of the United States of America. Now, the two nations are quite friendly. <laughs> and I think I'm standing here really as a testament to that reality. But if you think about it, what's the purpose of the U.S. Embassy in Ottawa? What's the purpose of that? They're they're not there to get involved with the next Canadian election, are they? They're not there to get involved in the parliamentary process of lawmaking or to help decide if Justin Trudeau will retain his seat in the House of Commons. That's not their purpose. Now, the purpose of the U.S. Embassy in Ottawa is to work on behalf of the interests of the United States of America and the citizens of the United States of America that happen to be in Canada. So I want you to think of it this way. In the same way the church functions in the world to represent our King Jesus. We, the church, function to represent our King Jesus. And, and we, the church, work on behalf of the priorities of our King. And we exist to encourage the citizens of the kingdom of God in their individual representation of the cause of Christ, our King in the world. You follow me? So the church is like an embassy. We're in a foreign land. We've already stated that that we are strangers and aliens in this world, right? And so when we come to the church, we're, we're interested in representing the interests of our king to the world. And anybody who wants to know our king, they can come to us representing our king in the church and beyond wherever we happen to be. Because we here are about the interests of King Jesus. Each local church, if you will, is like an ambassadorial outpost of the kingdom of God. And there are times, there are times when we in this little embassy will find ourselves in conflict with the kingdoms of the world. But we remind ourselves We represent King Jesus in the world. Now, if you've declared your allegiance to Christ and if you have your passport, as it were, then you need to be known at the embassy. You need to identify with Christ's church and be involved in Jesus' work. So what is the work that Jesus gave us to do? And we come back to the Bible text that I read earlier. Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe. That is to say, obey everything that I've commanded So understand this. Jesus didn't make each of us individually responsible for his work. He made us collectively responsible. And you cannot, hear me, you cannot obey the command to make disciples. You can't do that properly unless you are identified as part of the local church. Listen, I know, I know that may be a statement that that some parachurch organizations would like to challenge. No, no, we can make disciples. We don't don't need the church. 
Jesus didn't say to Peter when Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I will build my parachurch ministry and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say that. And as good as navigators and crew and whatever other organizations, I can't think of any right now, they're not the primary deal. Jesus said, I will build my church. What other ever ministries happen outside, they need the anchor of the local church. Brothers and sisters, we collectively are responsible before the Lord Jesus for the Great Commission. And you cannot obey the command to make disciples unless you're identified as part of the local church. See, what the church does, what the church does, and this has been part of our Sunday school class, what the church does is verify, first of all, that you belong to Jesus. The church hears, well, you've declared your allegiance to Christ. That's great. Then the church says, you know what? You need to get your passport. You need to be baptized. Or verify that someone's been baptized. You don't need to do that again if you've already done that. And then you join in Jesus' mission. That's, that's what we talk about when we talk about church membership. The, the reason is you can't, you can't obey Jesus' command to make disciples alone. You just cannot do it. The Holy Spirit revealed this truth, this essential truth, the apostles. The apostle Paul using a, the body metaphor. And so, so think of this. Think of this. Now, there's a longer section. I want you to listen carefully to these words. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 through 21. It's a little bit long. But hear, hear what he says. And think of this in the context of accomplishing the mission of making disciples. Paul says to the church at Corinth, for in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. It doesn't matter where you came from. And we're all made to drink of one spirit. So there's a, a divergence of, of places where you've come from. We're baptized in the spirit into one body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And let me be bold here. If you are saying, I don't need to identify with the local church, it's like the eye saying to the hand, I don't need you. I got this. I'll handle it alone. It doesn't work that way. You see, being part of Jesus, being a disciple of him is being part of his body. You can't say you don't need the church. And furthermore, you cannot truly you cannot truly identify with Christ and simply decide not to identify with the church. 
Now, there are two aspects of the church's mission. Make disciples. There's two aspects of that. There's an internal aspect and an external. The internal aspect is that we help one another live like citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to spend more on that next week. But the external aspect of our mission, this is what the world needs from us. So what does the world need from us? Well, the U.S. Embassy in Ottawa there represents the USA to Canada. We here in the church, we here in Papillion, we represent the interests of King Jesus to our little community. And what does the world need to know through us? What do they need to know? They need to know the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, that story, the story of the Son of God becoming man, living perfectly, dying in our place, And rising again, that gospel of Jesus is powerful to save. It's powerful to save. It's the one thing that we can say that wields the power of God. Do you hear that? The Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That message, when we declare it, God will save. It's not our persuasiveness. It's not our cleverness. It's not the clothes we wear. It's not our personality. It is the message of the gospel that will save. And so we can have confidence, brothers and sisters, when we declare this truth, God will save. Jesus said, describing how he was going to die, in a kind of a play on words in John 12, 32 said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. Will. Not might. Will. Draw all people that I've determined to save, but I would put that in there. But Jesus will draw people to himself when he's lifted up. Him being lifted up was crucified on the cross. And every time we declare that Jesus was lifted up, crucified on the cross, buried in a tomb, rose again for the forgiveness of our sins and and so that we could walk in newness of life, every time that that's declared, God is somehow, some way, doing a confirming or saving work. So each of us who are disciples of Christ have a story to tell. We each have a story about how each of us were once enemies of God because of God's great mercy. He has saved us. He brought us near. Now, Bob read this in Sunday school this morning. I'll revisit it here. 2 Corinthians 5. God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing together. That's our mission. So quick recap. Identifying with Christ means that you declare your allegiance to Christ. And that's a matter of the heart. Now let me plead with you. If you have not yet declared your allegiance to Christ, if you've not yet surrendered, if you've not yet repented of your sin and turned to him in faith for who he is and what he's accomplished for you at the cross, do that now. And if you have done so, but, but you haven't let the world know, get your passport. 
be baptized. Show your identification with Christ in his death and resurrection for you. And if you have not done so, if you have declared your allegiance to Christ, and if indeed you have been baptized, join us. Be part of the body. That's our mission. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace in our lives, and we thank you for the blessing of being part of your family. Lord, I I pray for those who are here or listening, watching, who are as yet unbelieving. Lord, by your spirit, open their eyes to see their need for a savior in Jesus. And Lord, would you strengthen our mission here? Even as we we confirm the truth of the gospel to one another, Father, would would you cause the light of the gospel to shine brightly from us? And Lord, I want to ask and boldly ask that you would make us extraordinarily successful in the mission of declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. Help us to do that. Open our eyes to see ways that we would do that better. Keep us on task. For the glory of Jesus, Jesus we pray it.